Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day presented by Turn of Tennis. A quick story for all of you listeners before we get to our picks for Tuesday's quarterfinal matches at Wimbledon. I am fortunate enough to be playing in a league this summer here in Indianapolis. Dalton Thieneman dragged me out of retirement, and I know what some of you listeners might be thinking. Alex, you are 25 years old. There is no way you have retired from tennis. I thought I had. I know it's not going to get any better for me than that 2017 national title with my University of Michigan Wolverines. Go Blue, of course, that was at the club tennis level. Always feel the need to clarify that, but nevertheless, competitive for me, that is what drove me in college to keep playing as much as I did. And without that impetus, you know, I thought I'd just stepped away from that part of my life. I thought, you know, maybe I'm just going to be talking about tennis from here on. And nevertheless, Dalton said, Alex, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he's correct. It's been so great to get back on court. I played my last league match last week. It was against the number one player in the league. Your boy got the victory. Uh, 6-2, 3-2. We had to stop the match due to rain. Unfortunately, we were never able to finish it as he hurt his back doing something else but the story for all of you listeners is not me bragging about my success and by the way that whole beginning to the monologue is compensation for the fact that we were one in four in aces of the day on Monday I'll get to that momentarily but midway through the match I had to use a different racket a non-turn of tennis gripped racket because I had popped a string and within three games you know me Schwitz like a Hauser racket was just in shambles I couldn't put two hands on it to hit backhands because it would slip out of my hand. I got broken at love in that fifth game of the match because, again, there was just no grip for me in the racket. And unfortunately... I've never gripped a oh, I, I can grip rackets. That's not true. I just can't do it well, and it takes me far too much time. Look, you guys know I'm a charmer. I would always go up to a coach, go up to someone who was qualified to grip. I'd put a little smile on my face and say, hey, can you grip this racket for me, please? Or some sort of corny joke along that lines. And thankfully, so many kind people in the tennis world, which is why I've always been gravitated towards it, would always say yes. And so... You know, I had that same smile on my face. It was 3-2. We were on serve first set. It felt like an appropriate time to ask. We had had good small talk in the warm-up, in the lead-up to the start of the match. Fantastic young man by the name of Tyler Cox. Shout out to him. I was like, hey, Tyler, I know this is so corny, but do you mind gripping my racket? And at this point of our lives, he's like, hey, I could use the extended break. I will happily grip your racket for you. I said, here is my turn of tennis grip. Once you use this once, I'll never have to ask you again. I didn't have to ask him again. And as I mentioned, I go on to win three straight games. He was probably like, what did I do? There was magic in that grip. And the magic is with our friends in turn of tennis. The best grip in the business. It gets tackier as you sweat. I can give you a firsthand testament to that. Uh, It's also, again, that iconic 
trademarked blue color. You can see it on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros. It can be on your racket starting tomorrow as well. If you contact our friends at Turn of Tennis, which you can do by emailing sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800-554-3707. You mentioned we here at Cracked Rackets sent you. They'll hook you up with uh, uh, some free samples. They'll hook you up with college tennis pricing discounted as well. All of that to ensure that they treat you like family. Again, to contact our friends at Turn Tennis, email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. Again, that long-winded intro because I'm trying to avoid the fact that we went 1-4 on Monday, down 2.21 units overall. Now, thankfully, we are still 15-13-2 overall for the event, up 4.88 units. Always better to be up for the event than down overall, and thankfully, we had built ourselves a little bit of margin in Week 1. It's only going to get tougher from here as the gap between these players narrows and the pressure intensifies, but you look at the decisions we made. On day on day number, uh, I suppose, seven of the event, Manic Monday is just what I think of it in my head. We did have one Futures event expire. It also uh, overlapped with a parlay that did not hit. Denis Shapovalov got the job done, minus 152 over RBA, but Alex Virev goes down two sets to love, as he always does, takes the next two sets, as he always does, goes down an early break in the fifth, as he always does. Looks like he's going to come back, but ultimately doesn't, as unfortunately it seems he always does. Felix Ogier Aliasim, fantastic performance from him to gut it out in that fifth set, especially after the rain delay, after it felt like Zero had seized all of the momentum at forehand for FAA. It flashes the potential to be elite. His victory over Zverev, though, means that Shapovalov Zverev parlay does not hit. We only put half a unit on that. That was more due to Shapo than Zverev, but still, way to be conservative there. Hey, great shot. Unfortunately, we had a future on Zverev to win the quarter, and while we also had a future on Berrettini that's still in play, and if that hits, we end up covering this bet. Uh, unfortunately, you know, again, that Zverev to win his quarter not going to end up happening. Plus 275 down the wayside. Uh, we only use one, lose one unit on that, but we have to add that to our additional losses. The fourth being the over two and a half sets in Goff and Kerber, and I'm going to stay away from the over two and a half sets because, again, the parity between the these players, you feel like there are going to be a lot of competitive first sets in these matches, and you just never know how a player responds to a tight first set, particularly again with the pressures of this environment, with fans back in the stands, with the fatigue that has set in for so many of these players who have now played what. I think eight out of the last nine months or something crazy like that as the tour started late in August and there's been so much tennis jammed in such a short period of time, so much intensity. I do think eventually that starts to add up, but again, uh, Angelique Kerber just too good. Knocks off Coco Goff. She is in fantastic form. Can absolutely win this event. Now, those were the losses. The wins. Tom Janovic, minus 127 over Radikainu. Now, I know Radikainu pulls out of the match, but you know, again, Tom, we had her minus 127, one unit to win .79. Tom Janovic did ultimately advance. Depends on your bookmaker. Some people don't pay that out. Some people do. We're counting it as a win here at Cracked Rackets. 
You can at me at Great Shot Pod if you disagree. I understand the case. Don't worry. But let's have some fun here. We needed a win. The glass is always half full on the Great Shot Podcast. And it just felt like Tomjanovic's experience, as great as Radikainu was in week one, just having to sit on that for a weekend and all the pressure that builds up entering that round of 16. And also just felt like this was Tomjanovic's moment in her career. She capitalizes. She advances. That is a data point to keep in mind. The stage and for each players, where they're at in their career, how comfortable will they be in week number two of a Grand Slam? Those things matter that much more as we try to make our selection successful here in week number two. And with that in mind, again, 15, 13, two overall plus. 4.88 units for the first seven days. Let's turn our eyes now to day eight. Let's get to our picks. Here are my selections for my GSP aces of the day. Let's start with a money line, and I've tried to avoid her as long as I can because I don't want to put the jinx on her. You guys know personally, if you listen to our podcast, I'm a believer in the Sabalenka upside, and I think people confuse me being a believer for me being a fan of that player. I'm more a fan of the take. And I just, the fact that my eyes tell me Arena Sabalenka's best tennis is as good, if not better, than anyone else in the women's game right now. And I'm not saying she's going to rip off 10 grand slams in 12 events. I'm done making those sorts of predictions. I am saying her best tennis is capable of winning a grand slam. And I think if you look at the numbers over the course of the last 52 weeks, they reflect that fact. You look for Arena Sabalenka. She's 50 and 15 overall, 77% win percentage. I know she struggled at the grand slam. She's into the quarterfinals for the first time in her career at a slam in singles. But you look, since the tour resumed in October, she wins Ostrava, wins the Linz, wins Abu Dhabi, that long winning streak. She then plays Serena to three sets. Really fun round of 16 match in Australia. She makes the finals of Stuttgart before losing in three sets to Ashley Barty. She then beats Barty in the Madrid final a week later. Again, Sabalenka's played some outstanding tennis. You look over the last 52 weeks, 21 and 11 against top 50 opponents, 7 and 6 against top 20 opponents, 2 and 3 against top 10 opponents. She's gone 1 and 2 against Barty, a loss to, or a win over Halep, a three set loss to Svitolina. The key factor I want to point out, all uh, of those five matches, against top 10 opponents. Four of them went three sets. The one that didn't was her straight set victory over Simona Halep in Stuttgart this year. I mean, the metrics say it as well. The advanced metrics beyond just the surface level overalls and who she's beaten. You look at the ELO ratings right now, the advanced metrics provided by our friends over at Tennis Abstract. You look for Arena Sabalenka. She's number four in overall ELO. She trails Barty, Osaka, and Halp. In terms of 2021 ELO, she's fourth. She trails Barty, Krejcikova, and Sviantec. She's one of four members in that top 15 club, top 15 in hold-in break percentage. And yes, I mentioned it on another podcast, so all of you take your shot of tequila. But the point being, uh, Arena Sabalenka, it's, you know, Sviantek, Muguruza, Sabalenka, and Own Jabur, who we'll get to momentarily. But Sabalenka, 10th in hold percentage, 15th in break percentage. You look for her now. 
She's 22 and 13 in her career on grass courts, a 63% win percentage. She's into the quarterfinal of a major for the first time, but you look at her here in 2021 and just her results at the majors overall. They're trending in the right direction. Third round, French Open last year. Fourth round, Australia this year. Third round, three set loss to Pavlochenkovu goes on to make the final. So I suppose that loss has appreciated with a little bit of value. And then, you know, again, now she's into the quarterfinal. Final. She beats Rabakana in three sets. She plays not her best match, but manages to escape against Katie Bolter in round number two. And now she comes up against an opponent she's familiar with, an opponent she's faced twice in the last 52 weeks, the only two times they've played in their careers, in Own Jabour. And I'll get to their head-to-head momentarily, but you look for Jabour. She's unequivocally one of the breakthrough stars of the WTA Tour since tour play resumed back in August. She's 40 and 17 overall, won her first title on grass courts, first WTA title of her career, but it happened to be on grass courts in Birmingham. She, you know, has beaten Kasekina, Mukaruza, Sviantek, all on the grass courts. You look for her over the last 52 weeks, 14 and 9 against top 50 opponents, 5 and 5 against top 20, 2 and 4 against top 10 opponents, one of them over Sonia Kennan in Miami, the other coming against Fiontech here in the round of 16. A keynote for her, three of her six matches against top 10 opponents have gone three sets. Two of them were victories for her, the other a loss to Pliskova in Doha, but I mentioned it. Advanced Metrics, top 15 club. Now, it's very fringe member of the top 15 club, and I think that speaks to Ushabur's status. She's not elite, but in terms of best of the rest, she's absolutely in that category, and she can hang with the elite of the elite, but, you know, does she have that overwhelming power? No. Does she have that overwhelming speed? No. Does she have an overwhelming consistency? No, but she does have an overwhelming creativity, a fantastic uh, mentality, her, her competitive nature, just the way she, her creativity throughout the course of the match, the variety she plays with, the slice, the ability to take the ball on the rise, the ability to attack returns first or second serves early, the ability to play drop shot as a, a shot as her return. And then again, power on the first serve, the power to go down the line, sneaky, you know, sneaky quick mover. I would say powerful first step. I would say she's not great, but she's definitely a good mover. Movement is never uh, an issue for her. And you know, again, can do a little bit of everything. The second serve, not exceptional, but it's fine. And, you know, again, she places her serve well, and she just has you on a string, and then she has you in your own head, and you could tell for Sviantek. She started cheating over one way or anticipating the slice, and then Jabor would drive the slice instead of hit a drop shot or just end up hitting the ball flat instead of hitting it with slice. She just, she gets you thinking. She makes you uncomfortable. You look for her now, 41-14 and 14 in her career on grass court, 75% win percent the highest of her career on any surface, it makes sense because that creativity, that ability to be on her front foot, that unpredictability when she is stretched to the outer thirds that just force her opponents to think for that extra second so they're not able to take advantage of the space they've created – it makes sense that Own Shabur is into the quarterfinals, and you look for her now. She has that experience over Sabalenka, second quarterfinal for Jabour at the Slam. This is the other coming in Australia back in 2020. Now, you look for her. She made quarterfinals there, round of 16, 2020 French Open, round of 16, 2021 French Open. She's now made the quarterfinals here at Wimbledon. It's worth noting, yes, it was only a third round in Australia, but that third round loss came to eventually 
eventual champion Naomi Osaka. In Sabalenka and Jabour, you certainly have two players playing the best tennis of their career, worthy of being in the semifinals, uh, quarterfinal stage. And you can tell I almost want to do a match of the day preview here. You're essentially getting what our patrons get. But you look at the money line in this match for Arena Sabalenka tomorrow, the slight favorite, minus 143 over Jabour. That gets to the head-to-heads. Jabour, Sabalenka, 1-1. One Overall, Jabour beat Sabalenka 2020 French Open round of 32, 7 6 2 6 6 3. And I've mentioned it before of the 15 losses for Sabalenka, 13 of them have been in three sets. So if you're leaning towards Jabour but you want to hedge, I would throw an over on the two and a half sets in this match. You look at the odds to do so over two and a half sets in this match uh, would end up being plus 135. Not, not bad. Might as well throw half a unit on that as a minimum. We're not going to be doing so because, again, I'm staying away from the over-unders, but I can understand the appeal if you're leaning Jabour just on that metric for Sabalenka. Anyways, uh, you get back to it. Jabour, 7-6-2-6-6-3. Now, Sabalenka flipped the script in Abu Dhabi, and that was during her big win streak, but 2-4 and four win. You look for Sabalenka, her serving metrics pretty constant across the board. She won 76%, uh, 77% of her first serve points in her win, 73% of her first serve points in her loss. She won 40.9% of her second serve points in both of those matches. The biggest difference, she saved 10 of 13 breakpoint chances when they went three sets. She saved one of three breakpoint chances when she won two and four in straights. You look at the serving metrics for Jabour. In the match she won, she won 67% of her first serve points. In the match she lost, she only won 50% of them. She made 48% of her first serves versus 55% in the match she won. The second serve, pretty constant. The break points faced, pretty constant. What's the big key to this match? It's own Jabour's serve because I know Sabalenka is going to have success. Her, she's a top five server. I mean, I know she's 10th in hold percentage. That speaks to every so often she's going to throw in that terrible game where she makes three unforced errors and hits a double faults and, you know, gets broken in the span of about two minutes. And, you know, again, that does happen over the course of the match. But having watched those two Sabalenka Jabour matches, both of them felt on Sabalenka's racket. Both of them felt like she was able to take clean cuts, big rips at on the Jabour serve, both first and second serves, and just be on her front foot, be the aggressor. And again, in the first match in Roland Garros, the pressures of the third round of the major, it got to her. And we saw one of those waves where Jabour just had to keep the ball in play. She had to stay consistent. Sabalenka had set points in the first set. She lost 7-6. And again, after losing that set, she refocused and blitzed through that second set 6-2. And, you know, three of the sets that they've played of the five have been lopsided towards Sabalenka. One of them was 50-50. The other 6-3 for Jabour. I just think Sabalenka is the better player. And I think with her odds tomorrow being minus one, uh, I believe, 43, that's just good enough to make her a money line bet on her own. Now, I know that's 10 minutes on the match, but I really wanted to justify it. It's the power tennis Sabalenka plays. That serve can, you know, you can't hit a drop shot return if Sabalenka's landing her first serve. And, you know, again, with the second serve, you absolutely can. 
But Sabalenka has a quick enough and a powerful enough first step that if you don't hit that drop shot perfectly, she gets a free crack at an approach shot. And when she is locked in as she has been, you know, today she was pushed three sets and she just she doesn't get broken in that third set. And, you know, again, for her to overcome that second round, dis- uh, her level in the second round against that second round display, her level in the second round against Katie Bolter, I think that was big for her mentally. And you could just see the relief in her face making the quarterfinals. It does feel like now... That pressure is a little bit off her shoulders. She's playing a little bit now with house money. The first goal has been achieved. Winning a Grand Slam will come with time. And if she can do it now, again, it's a wide open field, certainly. But I just think the matches on Sabalenka's racket, her power a little bit better, her second serve a little bit better. It's just going to be a little bit more difficult for Jabour to get into her plays. I think Sabalenka's power is a little bit more disrupting on this surface than Shiontek's was. Give me Sabalenka, minus 143, over Jabour, one unit on it to win 0.7. I know that's not the biggest return, and again, why I'm only throwing one unit on it, because there's always the chance you get those 20 minutes from Sabalenka where the ball's just not landing in the court, and with how well Jabour's played of late, she will capitalize during those 20 minutes, but I'm going to hold fast. Sabalenka, minus 143 over Jabour. Jabour's also played two really physical matches in her last two victories over Muguruza and Sviantec. Sabalenka, give me her money line tomorrow, one unit to win 0.7. That's ace of the day number one. Ace of the day number two is going to be a parlay. And it's part day one quarterfinals, part day two quarterfinals. I'm cheating a little bit here, talking on the men's side. But look, Barty minus 530 over Tomjanovic on its own. Can't do anything with that. But you throw Berrettini in the mix at minus 315 over FAA. That makes things interesting for a couple of reasons. And why am I picking Barty tomorrow? All the metrics suggested. I won't do it as long as I did on this match as I did for Sabalenka Jabour, but she's 32 and 6 over her last 52, 28 and 6 against top 50, 14 and 5 again. Uh, excuse me, 14 and 5 against top 20, 11 and 1, or excuse me, 6 and 1 against top 10. Her only loss being a three-set loss to Arena Sabalenka in Madrid. You look for Ashley Barty now, 51-15 and 15 in her career on grass courts. That's the highest percentage of any surface in her pro career. Yes, it's her first quarterfinal at Wimbledon, but she's won Birmingham before. She's won Nottingham before. She's had success on grass courts before. And you look for her here, she matches up with Alia Tomjanovic, who, you know, has been one of the stories of this Wimbledon. There's no denying that. And the fact that her and Berrettini happen to be a couple, they're both into the quarterfinals, that's that's awesome. That's a, that's a mini break story. We'll talk about that over on that podcast. But again, uh, Tomjanovic, for her to knock off Ostapenko in three sets, the drama of that match. And for her to just, you know, weather the storm, that crowd was so clearly partisanly against her in that Raducanu uh, match and you know she's able to get through that first set 6-4 and despite being the last match on court because unfortunately Raducanu had to withdraw from the match you know it's not too physically stressful on this on Tomjanovic she comes into this relatively fresh but what weapon does she have to hurt Barty with? You know, her serve, her hold percentage, she's not a top 50 player, but you look at her number over the last 52 weeks, she has held serve, I believe it's 66% of the time. That number would rank 33rd on tour. Her break percentage, 34.1%, that would rank 37th on tour amongst top 50 players. 
you got to have a big weapon to hurt Vardy with because consistency, making matches physical, which is what Tomjanovic does best, that's also what Ashley Barty does best. And respectfully to Tomjanovic, Barty just does it better than her. And so Ashley Barty minus 530 over Tomjanovic. I don't think I have to make too extensive of a case. Why I'm parlaying her with Berrettini? Two reasons. A, Berrettini minus 315 over FAA. I just think Berrettini's size, his serve, his forehand, his ability to move forward, his slice, they're all just a little bit further developed than FAA is right now. And I just think over the course of five sets, the physicality, the strength Berrettini can introduce to the match. Certainly, FAA can match his power over one set. I don't know if he can do it over five, and that's the sort of relentless power Berrettini can bring to the court. That's reason number one. Reason number two, you parlay Barty with Berrettini, minus 177, one unit to win 0.58. That sounds good. What sounds even better, Barty delivering a victory over Tomjanovic, and then on tomorrow's podcast, we can talk about whether we want to hedge or not. Because if Barty wins, we can put a shekel or two on FAA to win the match at plus odds because he is a plus 200 plus underdog. And that is the beauty of hedging. And then we'll have both of our bases covered, guaranteed to put some money in our pocket. So that's ace of the day number two. Let's throw a Barty Berrettini money line parlay together. Uh, again, minus 530 for Barty over Tomjanovic, minus 315 for Berrettini over FAA. You throw that together, minus 177. We'll put one unit on it to win 0.58. That's your parlay. I've got one more for all of you listeners today. And we're getting back to the futures realm because I think it's time to pronounce Ashley Barty the favorite to win this 2021 Wimbledon title. And at a minimum, if you take her to win the tournament at plus 210, what you're doing again is setting yourself up for an opportunity to hedge against that plus 210 in the final because we will already have odds on Barty to win the tournament. And at that point, I promise if she's in the final, she will be the favorite. It won't be plus 210. It will be minus 150, I would say, or further depending on the potential hypothetical opponent. And you look for Ashley Barty, 44.8% chance to win this according to Tennis Abstract's women's draw forecast. You look at the futures for Barty. She's the favorite right now, plus 210. Sabalenka, second favorite, plus 375. You look for Ashley Barty over her last 52. I already mentioned it, 32-6 and six overall. She's won titles over that span in uh, in, in uh, Yara Valley, in Miami, in Stuttgart. She made the final in Madrid as well. Had to pull out with injury third round, uh, second round Wimbledon, but... She's played four matches now. She's looked healthy in all of them. She got pushed physically in her core, uh, round of 16 match against Krejcikova. Didn't play her best tennis, but I think that's actually a good thing. We haven't seen Ashley Barty play her best yet, and yet, despite the fact that we haven't seen her play her best physically, she's gotten better and better as the match progressed against Krejcikova. She goes down an early break, breaks back at 4-2 for 4-3, then has control of that match. She got better as the match progressed. She's looked more comfortable as the match progressed. Worth noting, her first four matches here at Wimbledon, her only four matches on grass courts this season. You look at her section of the draw as well. Tom Janovic, who she's the heavy favorite against, and then the potential winner of Mukova or Kerber. Now, certainly, Kerber, lefty, has won this event before. She's not going to be phased by the bright lights by the stage. It would be Barty's first hypothetical Wimbledon semifinal, but, you know, Barty would be a comfortable favorite. And does Kerber have a big enough weapon to hurt Barty with at this point? Yes, I know lefty into that backhand slice, but 
Barty's going to be ready to go the distance, make that match a track meet. And I just think Barty serves the biggest weapon. Her forehand's the second biggest weapon. Her ability to move forward, the third biggest weapon. And she can just match the physicality that Kerber brings to every match. And, you know, again, the case against Mukova. Now, Mukova is an interesting one because Mukova, a little bit more pop. She would attack that Barty backhand, move in behind it. But we just saw Barty knock off a similar style of opponent in Barbara Krejcikova. I just think you look at that section. Barty's a comfortable favorite to make the final. And a plus 210, not superb but good enough odds that I'm now ready to pull the trigger. That is our final ace of the day here. Our futures bet. Barty to win the tournament, plus 210, one unit to win 2.10, again, oh, 2.10, excuse me. Ideally, she makes the final. We can discuss hedging on that final GSP ace of the day podcast, but I'm ready. Eight players left. Barty feels like the favorite. Let's throw a futures on it. Those are your three aces of the day. Again, to recap, Sabalenka, minus 143 over Jabour, one unit to win 0.7. We're also going to go a Barty-Berrettini parlay. Barty, minus 530 over Tomjanovic. Berrettini, minus 315 over FAA, minus 177. One unit to win 0.58. And then we're taking Barty to win the tournament, plus 210. One unit to win 2.1. Keeping our eye towards the future. The finish line is in sight. It is going to be an exciting home stretch of Wimbledon. We appreciate all of you listeners who have joined us each and every day. Hopefully, we've put some money in your pockets. Hopefully, you've learned when to when I get a little bit uh, wide-eyed, when I get a little bit too crazy with my selections. But more than anything else, thank you all for listening. Of course, if you have missed out on anything that has happened at Wimbledon, you can catch it up on all of it on our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shop pod a shout out as always to our super producers max Fliegner and daniel west for the of an any job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at turn of tennis remember contact sales at unique sports.com or call 800-554-3707 with that in mind for our super producers max Fliegner and daniel west for our friends at turn of tennis and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 